0: That may tell you something about my worldview. <laughs> you can be the best preacher, the best teacher, the best prophet, Tyndale, the best worship leader, uh, but you're still going to die. You can be Lazarus, raised from the dead by Jesus, and you're still going to die. It makes you a dead again Christian. <laughs> you're still going to die. want to share with you just a few scriptures before we may actually make a start from the book of exodus now a man from the house of levi went and married a daughter of levi and the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was beautiful she hid him for three months but when she could hide him no longer uh, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the river Nile. And from John 9, he passed and saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And from Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In the flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The word of the Lord. I woke up uh, one day about 11 years ago, and I hurt. I just hurt all over. I wasn't aware of hurting the day before or the week before, but I hurt that day. And two weeks later, I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't walk. Uh, I couldn't dress myself. And uh, and I hurt a lot. And when they uh, drove me to the hospital, my son had to go with me, and pull me out of the car. And, uh, and I discovered, much to my dismay, while still in my 40s, I had rheumatoid arthritis. And from that day to this day, four out of five days are marked by pain. And I measure my days in three ways. Can I dress myself without pain? Can I dress myself with a great deal of pain? Or do I need my wife to help me get dressed? And if my wife has to help me get dressed, how do I get through my work day, if nature calls? And, uh, and that's my life. And I've learned that some days pain makes it impossible for me to work. Some days it, it's so extreme that I can't think straight thoughts in a straight line. And, uh, and I've now got to the place where they've stopped treating the disease because the medications that treat the disease are more destructive than the disease. And so now they give me opiates. It's a wonderful life. <laughs> Legal. Every, every street kid in Toronto wants to be my best friend. I have four different kinds of opiates. The problem is when you take enough to kill the pain, it's a nice space. But you can't work, uh, because everything goes fuzzy. And I direct an organization that has a $12 million a year budget. I'm supposed to do it well. And half the days, I live in the awareness that the staff around me make me look good. They cover for me. Now, I'm an arrogant Lebanese Canadian, male, Raised to be self-sufficient, aggressive, on top of his game all the time. And it takes my staff to make me look good. And on one hand, that's great. That it means I've got a staff who love me and want me to look good. It means that there's a staff that's competent and quite bluntly can run the organization without me. And it's humbling. Kind of all at the same time. I've learned that, and and I've known for a long time, that you can't measure one person's pain against another person's pain. That how do you compare the the pain of the people of Haiti with a mom who just lost her daughter to the streets in Toronto? How do you you, uh, compare the pain of children who just heard their dad is about to die of cancer with the pain of uh, of an arthritic sufferer. Uh, You can't compare pain. Each person's pain is real to them and measured only against them. The guy who lost uh, a few million dollars in the last recession but still has his house and home and standard of living and the guy who lost his job and is now in a welfare line, both feel pain and their pain is real to them. Very real to them. When I go now to the pain management clinic, they don't ask me how much pain I have as compared to the guy down the hall. They ask me on a scale of one to ten how much pain do you feel, and I never go higher than seven because I know there's more coming, and I want to leave room for eight somewhere down the road. Uh, and uh, and and I've I've learned this. I didn't pick up a cross somewhere to carry it for Jesus. It's not righteous pain that somehow comes because I'm, in quotes, a minister of the gospel. It's just pain. It's the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And sometimes when the rain falls, it soothes and cools. And sometimes it just washes everything away destructively. But one way or the other, it, it just falls. And so I woke up one morning, and I hurt, and I continue to. The question that I got asked to talk about today was very simple. I guess maybe it's a transitional. Uh, Where is hope in the midst of suffering? And where do you find hope in the midst of suffering? And I could probably try and do a theological response to that. But i tried to do a theological response to phil yancey's book about 20 years ago and it was a disaster and so i'm just going to tell you four or five things that have become important to me in terms of processing pain because believe me you'll all get there uh, if death is a common denominator in life pain is the great equalizer in life and whether it's spiritual emotional physical uh mental we all get to the point of pain and so what carries me through One very simple thing is the story of Moses' mother, a slave for 350 years, who has, I suspect, in a combination of anger and frustration, casts her son into the river. And I can half picture her saying, OK, God, this is your problem now. And, and the neat little Sunday school pictures that I got as a kid that showed her all dressed nicely in the nice little basket is it, just bunk. It's, it's an ugly tar pitch basket being thrown into the river by a very frustrated slave woman who in the midst of her frustration also lives with the hope that God might yet, after, after all of the evidence to the contrary, 350 years of slavery, believes that yet God might actually intervene and touch the life of her son and that there might yet be bigger plans in play than her personal pain or her personal suffering. When uh, I first became uh, arthritic and the pain became unbearable, what I discovered is, like most people, I wanted it to go away. And like everybody else, I prayed for healing. I fasted about healing, so on and so forth. My Christian friends, my Catholic nuns prayed rosaries for me. My, my, my old Baptist saints uh, would come and say, Rick, we pray for you every day. And what they all prayed for was my healing. And I suspect that Moses' mom, every day, must have prayed, God set my people free. Because we want the end of suffering. We want the end of pain. And yet, it wasn't to be for another 40 or 50 years in Moses' mother's life. My non-faith-based friends wanted my pain to go away. They recommended better doctors, better medications. My, my cultic friends sent me potions and elixirs. I wore magnets on my joints and had a magnetic mattress. I did cod liver oil and snake liver oil and so on and so forth. And everybody had the next, and to this day, people show up with more potions and more elixirs. And my, my brother phoned me this week and said, have you tried? And, uh, and it goes on and on and on and on. And in the middle of it, an ex-Catholic nun in, in, in Pennsylvania said, I'm not, I'm not going to pray for your healing. I'm going to pray that you'd be well, and that in the midst of pain, you would discover wellness. The faith of Moses' mother is the faith that says, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of oppression, I will live well, and my cry against pain and suffering is a life well lived and a life lived in wellness. And so my nun, every day, I wrote her a letter last night, told her I was going to talk to you, told her I was going to talk to you about her, talk to you about her. Every day she prays that I would be well, and in that wellness there's there's an understanding that God's plans in the world, God's sovereign rule over the world, is bigger than my pain, and somehow in the midst of it, I get to participate in it. The second thing is I learned that suffering does not mean I'm out of God's will. Job's com- comforters showed up all over the place, and there's a secret Christian code sentence that, that means sinner, and, and, it, and it was, Rick, what is God trying to teach you in this? Or, Rick, what is God saying to you in this? And what, what it means is, how have you screwed up? And finally, one day, I got so frustrated with the question, and somebody came in and said, Rick, what is God teaching you in all this? Or what is God telling you? And I said, nothing. And they said, Oops, I'm sorry. God told me to tell you to. I'll let you fill in whatever you want. It won't be as bad as what I said. Suffering does not put me out of God's will. It is not a testimony of sin. That's the story in John. And had Jesus not healed the man, it would not change the fact that neither he nor his father uh, were the cause of his blindness. The cross, and our time is up, so I'm going to say this quickly. The cross, in Baptist life, we skip over, I'm Baptist, we skip over the cross. We want to get to resurrection. The Catholic side of my faith celebrates the cross and lingers too long there. But I worship a Jesus who suffers with me, who suffers with me, not just in his death, but in his life, suffered with me and enters into my suffering. And in a way, I don't understand this little passage in Colossians says that somehow I enter into his suffering. And John Pike wrote a whole book to explain this passage away because it's it's a very obvious passage when it says we make up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, but our theology doesn't believe that, so we have to explain it away. But it's it's a tease little scripture. In our suffering, we make up the lack in Christ's affliction. I don't know what it means, but it tells me somehow my suffering engages Christ's suffering. And finally, my community. I live in the midst of a people who suffer beyond what I can understand every day. And when, when John, whose mom threw him in a, in a clay basement and, 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 and would tell him the rats are coming to eat him, uh, asked me when he meets me, he's so psychotic, he hardly knows what day it is, and he'll say to me, uh, how are you doing? He doesn't want a whole explanation, he just wants to know if I heard and Mike, who has had more surgeries and, and, and more pieces of his body cut and torn apart simply because he's poor, asks Rick, are you hurting today? All of a sudden I, I go, like, I should be asking him. And when Star comes to me, who's, whose mom sold her into prostitution at 11 years old, and she comes in joy, in joy, and she embraces me then what I discover is in Christ I have a community. And that community holds me in pain, and I hold them in pain. And because we are well held together, we live life full and rich. Hope is in a God who's bigger than our pain, in a Jesus who enters into our pain and allows us to enter into his pain, and in a community that embraces us in our pain, through our pain, and beyond our pain. Bless you and thank you for having me.